Fathers, we just watch the news and see the birth pains that Jesus, you said, would happen upon the earth before you return from Category 5 hurricanes, Lord, to lawlessness increasing, constant shootings, to wars and rumors of war, Middle East and around the world, Lord. We just we pray that you would make us a people that know how to fulfill our calling in the midst of this generation, that we'd know our, our role, we'd know our portion, and we pray, Lord, most of all, that we would know you better. And we draw close to you. You would prepare us to use us in these strategic times. We ask you to help us that and even now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, there was this guy. He was, a, <laughs> he was a teacher, and he decided he would ask his children, these are just little, little elementary kids, this question. He wanted to ask them uh, who had some type of religious object in their house. And the first little boy came up and he said, well, in our house we have a, a picture of a woman with a halo around her head holding a baby. And every morning my mother kneels before it and prays to God. One little girl walked up and said, well, in our house we have a, a bronze statue of a man sitting cross-legged with a Chinese face. And every morning my parents burn incense and pray. And finally, another, another little girl came and said, well, in my house, in my bathroom, we have a platform with numbers on it, and every morning, my mother comes and stands on it and says, oh, my God. <laughs> well, this morning, I want to talk a little bit about idolatry. Now, we're about to kick into this Knowing God series, and it's important that as we start this series that we make sure that we're not violating the first two commandments ourselves. So what are the first two of the Ten Commandments? Here they are. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3 and 4. Simply say this, You shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself an idol. So the Bible tells us that there are three things we should flee from. A lot of times I ask people that question. I say, the Bible says you're supposed to flee from three things. Do you know what those three things are? And almost all the time in a group, someone will say, the devil. The Bible never says flee from the devil. It says resist the devil. He'll flee from you. But we're supposed to resist, and we're supposed to flee from three things. All right, what are those three things? Well, we're supposed to flee immorality, flee the love of money, and flee idolatry. And the reason we're supposed to flee those three things is because if we don't, we're likely to rationalize them and then give in to them. Like in the case of immorality, we can see how that would be the case, how you could rationalize immorality, not flee from it, and then eventually give in to it. I mean, years ago, I had a friend who actually was in a small group. I had a men's small group, and he was part of that. And he called me during the night, and he said, I'm just calling you for accountability. He said, I'm at a bar, and I just ran into an old girlfriend. And I'm calling you for accountability. I said, well, for accountability, I'm saying get out of there as fast as possible. He said, no, I got this. 
said, I'm fine. I, I'm not going to cross the line. I'll call you later. And he hung up. Well, he didn't call me later, but I saw him later. It was the next morning at my house. He was in tears because he had just slept with his old girlfriend. And that was the beginning of the end of his marriage. You know, we're told to flee immorality because if we don't, we're likely to rationalize it and then give in to it. And that's what he did. So we can understand why the Bible would say flee immorality. What, that makes sense to us. But it also says to free, to flee the love of money. Now, that one might be a little bit harder, but think about it. If we don't flee the love of money, then we'll rationalize it. It's real easy to rationalize that, justify it. Justify in a way where it's okay for me to now focus all of my time and energy on making as much money as possible, being convinced that I think the more I have, the happier I'll be because I can buy more things. And so we, we see how that could suck us in as well into living a life that's very materialistic. So the Bible says, be deliberate about it. Don't give in to that. Flee from it. So I think we can understand flee immorality and flee the love of money, but I think we can get to the third one, flee idolatry. That's a little bit harder for us to grasp. What is that all about? How does that work? Because most of us in this room would think, you know, we don't have any idols. We don't have any statues that we're bowing down to in our homes or workplaces or schools. So what is that all about? Well, it's very clear that we have been made with a, all humans have a God-shaped vacuum a void in our lives that only God can truly fill and satisfy. And if we don't fill it with the one true God, then that, that vacuum is going to yearn and ache to be filled by something. Nonetheless, and we also see very clearly in the Bible that we have been created to worship. We are been created as worshipers. And so if we're not worshiping the one true God, then we are going to find something to worship. Something to give our attention and affection and devotion and allegiance to. Because we're made to do that. So what I want us to do a little bit this morning is talk about idolatry and how that works in our culture that we're living in. So we're going to go back to the story that many of you are familiar with, the story of Moses. When Moses goes to Mount Sinai, he goes to the top of Mount Sinai. Remember, he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights, and God is giving him the Ten Commandments, but also giving him his covenant with the people of Israel. But Moses doesn't come back right away, and the people didn't know how long he's going to be gone. For all they know, he's just gone. In fact, let's jump right into the story. Exodus 32, verse 1. So the people saw that Moses had delayed coming down the mountain. So after 40 days and 40 nights, Moses up on the mountain, the people are beginning to feel not just the absence of Moses, but I think they're also beginning to feel the absence of the presence of God in their life. Because when Moses did not return, what do they do? Remember that vacuum, that God-shaped vacuum people have? When Moses doesn't return and they think God is far from them, what do they do? They make an idol. It's the golden calf. So they turn to another God. Now you're thinking, now what is up with this? Because these people, they knew hard times. 
I mean, they had crossed the desert. They crossed the Red Sea. They'd gone without water. They'd gone without food. They learned, they learned they had to trust God to provide water and food for them. They went through all those hard times, and never in those hard times before did they turn to idols. I mean, they complained a lot. They murmured a lot, but they never turned to idols. So what was it about this event that made it different for them to make this golden calf and to worship the golden calf? Well, remember, again, Moses was gone a long time, and they began to fear they had been left alone. They felt left by Moses. They also felt left and abandoned by God. And as God's presence seemed to be withdrawn, it really wasn't, but it seemed to be withdrawn, in response to feeling like God's presence was withdrawn, they, just, they began to turn to something else. This is real important that we get this right here. What sets us up for idolatry is feeling that God's presence is gone. I feel like God's now far away. Or God's abandoned me. Or God doesn't care about me anymore. God doesn't listen to my prayers anymore. He's gone. And, I, what, and what happens at that time is we become very vulnerable to idolatry. And it's almost like we say, okay, if he's gone, then I'll take the God behind door number two. Just think for a moment. Have you ever felt that way? I'm not asking for a show of hands. Have you ever felt that you're just that God's presence was really far from you now? It's gone. He's gone. He's distant. And when you felt that way, have you ever noticed that you feel tempted at that time to turn to something else other than God? Let me ask you this question. What if when in, in times of stress or in times of fear or in times of boredom, or in times of crises, and God seems far away at the same time, if you've ever had that combination, what do you turn to at that time? Well, Exodus 32, we know what they turned to. God's people had a golden calf. It's interesting in Exodus chapter 32, God's anger is not burning against the heathen because of their idols. God's anger is burning against his people because his people gave him up for an idol. Now, before you automatically conclude, well, you know, I don't need to come today because I don't need to hear this message because I don't have an idol. So before you uh, write this off, let's make sure we understand what idolatry is. I want to consider four characteristics of idolatry. All right? Number one, the first characteristic of idolatry is simply this. An idol is something or someone who competes with our worship of God. In fact, it doesn't just compete with our worship of God. It wins the competition. It's something or someone who gets, you know, the passion and the affection and the attention and the devotion and the allegiance that God deserves, but it gets it instead. So that's how you tell if you're guilty of idolatry. Are you worshiping someone else or something else besides God? Now you say, well, I'm not worshiping anything. Well, let's, let's break down the word worship. So what do you give your attention to, your affection to, your devotion to? What do you give your allegiance to? See, what are you sacrificing the best of you to? You know, if you're sacrificing the best of who you are to something 
other than God, and could that be idolatry? You say, well, I've got to go to work. I'm saying, no, I'm, asking, I'm thinking about what about all your free time and all your you know, money and your energy? Are you, if you're giving something, it all to something else above God, then that's what has your worship, that has your devotion. And that's what idolatry is. There was a man in our church many years ago. He's passed on since then. He was in a men's small group I had at the time. Just we had five or six guys in this group. And he was, he was doing well. I mean, he'd be he's at church every Sunday. He was in our small group every week. He and I did lunch together, hung out together. I mean, he was really doing great. And all of a sudden, he just stopped coming. He stopped coming to church. He stopped coming to small group. And so I call him and say, hey, hey, man, what's going on? You okay? Is, is something going on? Is something I can help you with? I hadn't seen you around. And he said, well, I got this amazing dog. I mean, this dog wins the dog shows. This dog wins dog competitions. He's amazing. And so, I'm, I mean, every spare moment, I'm on the road with this dog. And I, so I can't make the meetings. I can't make church. He said, this is an amazing dog. I thought, he's got it exactly backwards, doesn't he? Some of you are just waking up here. <laughs> Instead of G-O-D being first, D-O-G's first. Oh, I get it now. But think about it. He was given the priority of his life to that dog. I mean, his time, money, devotion, energy, passion, allegiance went to that dog and said it to God. And when it came to the actual evidence of that, when it came to what meeting he was going to go to, when, if they were at the same time, the dog won. That's the first characteristic of idolatry. It's something, it's some, an idol is something that competes with our worship of God. In fact, it doesn't just compete, it wins the competition. All right, second characteristic is this. Idols of the day reflect the values of the culture. See, the image of the calf was part of the culture of Egypt. The golden calf was valued in Egypt. It was well known by the Israelites who had spent their entire lives growing up in Egypt. I mean, they're at the base of Mount Sinai now in this story, but they were born in Egypt. They grew up in Egypt. They understood the culture of Egypt, the values of Egypt. And the golden calf, calf, calf was valued and worshipped in that culture. So it, so it was something that made the heathen happy, so maybe it will work for them. See, when you, if you feel like God's forsaken you, then you're vulnerable to idolatry. And that idol that you'll be tempted to turn to will be likely something that the non-Christians in the culture in which we're living in are already worshiping. Something that already has their affection and their devotion and their attention. And we're thinking, well, it works for them, maybe it'll work for me too. 
I want to ask you to think about this for a moment. I want you to imagine the largest temple in Texas. Largest temple. And in that temple, the one true God is not worshipped at the regular meetings. In fact, no word or thought about the one true God is really happening in any of those meetings. People are coming from all over to go to those meetings. They're giving their affection, their passion, their attention to something other than the one true God. They're spending all their extra money on something other than the one true God. What happens in those meetings in that temple fills their conversation all week long in the workplace. When they go home, they got little pictures about what happens in that temple and little knickknacks and and uh, posters. I mean, just think about that. From God's perspective looking down, do you think that he might see that as idolatry? I mean, those people who all week long, many not give any attention at all to God, no passion, no affection, no devotion, none of their time, none of their money, and then they give it all in their free time to the Dallas Cowboys. I'm just saying from God's perspective, and he's looking down, could he possibly see it that way? Could he see that as the largest temple in Texas? And we're building another one right next to it. And we're helping pay for it. Again, now, I love sports. I love to play sports. I love watching sports. But I, don't th- I do think it's possible to cross the line and give our attention, affection, devotion, money, time, energy, thought, life, conversation to a sports team even above God. And here is really the test. When the meeting in that temple is the same time as the meeting in this temple... I always know when the Cowboys are playing. I don't know before. I don't know before Sunday, but I always know during Sunday service when they're playing. I always know when they have the twelfth, the noon game. And I'm thinking, seriously? I'm just asking you the question: Could that be idolatry? Could it be? Truth is, God will not share his worship with another. He won't. Our third characteristic of idolatry, number three, idols do satisfy, but that satisfaction is short-lived. So when stress or crises or boredom creep in and we don't feel God is near, we don't feel near him, we don't feel his presence, we don't feel he's helping us, we don't feel he's coming through for us, we don't feel he's answering our prayers, then we're vulnerable to turn to idolatry. And at that time, the, we're going to turn to an idol to possibly just numb the pain of the emptiness. We want to feel something. We want to feel something. We want to feel fast. See, we're not, if we're not feeling anything from God, maybe another God will make me feel something. And it does. I mean, I, idols do make you feel something for a little while. It's interesting in chapter 32... Of Exodus, I'll summarize verse 4 through 6 about what the Israelites did around the calf. They molded it, 
They built an altar to it. They ran a festival around it. They partied. They sacrificed to it. And during that brief time, there was some relief. I mean, I think they were feeling some relief. It was feeling pretty good at that time. They were feeling some satisfaction. But but the satisfaction of an idol is always short-lived. Idols are deceitful imitations. They take the place of God in our affections, our devotion, our attention, our allegiance. And if you, get, if you begin, to, here's what happens. If you begin to find satisfaction in that affection, in that devotion, of that idol, whatever it may be, it gives you some brief satisfaction, then it wanes, it wears off. But then you think, well, I just can go back to it again. I'll go back to it again. And I'll go back to it again and again. And by the way, that really is how addictions happen. See, that's why so many, so, so many people do with alcohol and drugs. They get some relief, some satisfaction from it, but it's always short-lived. And they still feel the emptiness. They still feel the void, so they run back to it again and again. And each time it briefly satisfies, it dulls the pain. Eventually you find yourself empty again. You've got to go back again. It's the essence of addictions. Characteristic number four of an idol. Number four, idolatry is surrounded by rationalizations. I mean, listen to what Aaron says to his brother Moses, who's confronting him in chapter, in verses 22 and 24. Aaron says, basically, don't let your anger burn against me. You know the people, they're bent on evil. They said to me, in other words, you know, don't blame me, it's their fault. Then he goes on in verse 24, so I took the gold and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. You know, we laugh at that, but, you know, the truth is our idols are wrapped in excuses. In fact, when we, I first began this message, I think for a lot of you, something popped in your mind and you thought, hmm, that, that could be an idol. But already, since that happened, you've already, you've already begun to rationalize why it's not one. And I'm not even finished with the message yet. And the reason I know some of you are doing that is because I've done it. So those are four characteristics of idols. So I want to use those characteristics of idols, and I want to say, okay, based on these characteristics, what might be some of the idols of our culture? Or I'm going to call them modern-day golden calves. And I'm going to make some suggestions of what they might be. Number one, I think the first one, it would probably be a modern-day golden calf in our culture. I'll call the golden calf of cash and comfort. Now, some of you are saying, all right, Gary, what do you, you have something against cash and comfort? I'd say compared to what? Compared to poverty and pain, I would choose cash and comfort every time. Compared to Christ and what he wants me to do, now that's something very different. See, if if it's compared to Christ, you're talking about I'm going to choose cash and comfort over my commitment to Christ and what he's calling me to do. There's no contest. It's Christ, what he's calling me to do. Isn't that true for you? Now, don't answer that too quickly, but by the way, even if you're hesitating in that answer, understand that when we permit cash and comfort to eclipse our commitment to Christ, If we've got two choices, I mean, okay, 
I, I really believe Christ wants me to do this, but that means it's, I'm not going to be able to have this, you know, cash or this comfort anymore. And then I decide cash and comfort over Christ, then I just eclipsed Christ with cash and comfort. And I would proceed that's idolatry. When Judas betrayed Christ, didn't he choose cash and comfort over Christ and what Christ wanted him to do? I, mean, I think Judas was guilty. Obviously, he was guilty of betrayal, but I think he was guilty of idolatry. I think idolatry is what sucked him in. It promised to fill and satisfy him, but it left him empty and so empty and ashamed, he threw the, the cash on the ground and committed suicide. And I thought a lot about Judas over the years. I think, what happened to him? Do you ever think about that? I mean, what happened? How could you be with Christ for three years with him and his disciples and see all that he saw, even participate in what he got to participate in, and then turn away from Christ and betray him? I mean, he didn't just turn away from him. He sold him out. So I just wonder, what was going on inside him? He said, well, the devil eventually got a hold of him. Yeah, but leading up to that, what was going on inside Judas, I wonder? I believe what made him vulnerable to the idolatry and the betrayal was this. So I think, at least in part, this has to be true. Judas, after all the sacrifices he'd made following Christ, and all the anticipation he had of what he thought Jesus was going to do, which in his mind was free them from Roman domination, after all the sacrifice and all this time, and you finally realize this is not going to happen. What I hoped you would do is not going to happen. And he was so disappointed. By the way, disappointment is really a time when people are vulnerable to idolatry. What he hoped would happen didn't happen. So he's disappointed, led him vulnerable to idolatry, and he was sucked in by the idol of cash and comfort. You know, if you feel disappointed by God, if you feel there's something you're expecting him to do and he's not doing it, or you just feel he just, you know, he feels distant to you, you feel like he's abandoned you, and you feel disappointed in how he's not answering your prayers. I mean, you sacrificed it, you waited, and you prayed, and you longed, you delayed gratification, you delayed gratification, and now it's not going to happen like you, like you expected. When you're in that place of disappointment, you're vulnerable to idolatry. You begin to think, okay, God, if you're not going to keep your end of the bargain, then I'll gratify myself another way. And cash and comfort are out there saying, hey, we'll, we'll help you. It's working for everyone else. It'll work for you. And we're told that 10,000 times a week. That cash and comfort will do the trick. So I just want to stop here a moment and just ask, not to show hands, but just between you and God, are you disappointed in God? Are you disappointed in God? Are you feeling the draw to satisfy yourself another way? The battle is real. This is a very, the faith battle is very real. Very real battle. Well, let me give you, or at least suggest, idol number two of our culture. 
the golden calf of self. Now, there's different components to this, God, but it's always about me. It's always about what profits me, my pleasure, my profit. Even in my spiritual journey, you know, and I'm, the evidence of this idol in my spiritual journey is that even in your spiritual journey, you're always thinking about your prophet and not Christ. It's not what will glorify him. What does he want? It's always about what will best for me. Even my spiritual journey, what is best for me? You know, another component of this idol is that there's a preoccupation with outward appearance. The altar becomes the closet or the mirror, bathroom mirror, the gymnasium. It's about your focus on being as attractive as, as a gym or plastic surgeons or nice clothes can make you. You spend all your time, your money looking as good as possible. By the way, nothing's wrong with wanting to be in shape and wanting to uh, look good. Nothing's wrong with that. But if that pursuit eclipses your pursuit of Christ, then that's idolatry. If that pursuit pursuits Eclipses your pursuit of Christ. If you, you know, if you spend, I'm spending all this time and all this energy and all this money and making about me, 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 and I give like, I'm giving hours to that and I don't even give minutes to Christ, then I think we got a problem. Might that be idolatry? Again, I'm suggesting that to you, that it might be. Idol number three of our culture, I'll suggest, would be the golden calf of relationships. There's another person in your life, real or imaginary, in whom you give an inordinate amount of time, energy, and attention. By the way, even in the most satisfying marital relationships, we ought to still hunger for God above that relationship. I mean, I adore my wife, Tracy, but I can never let my love for her compete with my devotion to God. None of us can. He has to be first. You know, we mistakenly think sometimes a relationship is going to satisfy us in a way that only God can. I mean, that void, that vacuum in there can only be filled by God and not, not even by marrying the most wonderful person around. Only God can fill it. And so, and by the way, you can, you can make a mistake, mistake of this idol even if you're you know, single or married. You can fantasize. You can fantasize. There could be someone, and you've you got some fantasy person who's your ideal spouse. Or there's someone you've already kind of thought you'd love to, you wish they were your spouse instead of who you got. You can have your eyes on someone else. It can turn to fantasy. And I think pornography actually is part of this. It's, it's this fantasy land of satisfaction. So many of you really know that idol. Struggle with it. You know, they did a survey of Promise Keepers men's conferences where they were filling stadiums up all over the country, 70,000 men coming for these conferences and, and getting right with God and seeking God. And they did a survey and asked them this question anonymously. You didn't have to put your name on it so they could just be honest about it. Don't worry, no one's going to find out about it. Fill out the survey, hand it in. The survey was, the question was, how many, they wanted to know the, the answer to how many of you spent time this week leading up to the conference this week on a pornographic website, 50%. These are men that week that are going to Promise Keepers Conference, 50%. I don't know what the number is for those who say, I don't care about Promise Keepers or God or anything. Some of you have a relationship right now that might have become an idol. And I talk to young people that it slipped into immorality because they feel the pressure of pleasing that person. They're afraid they're going to lose that person, so they give in to what they know they don't, shouldn't give in to. 
All right, number four. The golden calf of entertainment. Now, here we don't even have to go to the game. We don't have to go to the theater, the club. We can get it piped right into our house, our TVs, our computers, iPads, our iPhones, our video games, Netflix. And every day we can give hours to that and not even give God minutes. I'm just asking, could that be idolatry? Or hobbies that become, you know, the dominant, you know, force in your life every non-working moment becomes an idol. So here's the question we need to answer. How do I break free? If I've got an idol, how do I break free from it? Well, let's look at what they did in Exodus 32. Here's the antidote. Exodus 32 is incredibly fast and severe. Moses burned the calf, ground it to powder, and scattered it in the water. In other words, he got rid of it. Nothing left of it. Not a trace. No way to get it back. It's ground up. It's gone. He's radical. He's being radical. Some radical thing to get rid of the idol. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, flee idolatry. Get away from it. I mean, and it's going to take a radical, deliberate decision, and it can't be some kind of little thing. And you can't have the attitude, it's not that big a deal. It ain't that big a deal. I was talking to a guy who was struggling with Internet pornography. He told me how it all started. He said one night he said he was, had his computer out, and he's just curious. He said, I'm just curious. I thought, I wonder what's going on in those sites. Just curious. I just think I need to know. So he clicks on it, and it sucks him in, and he just can't stay off of him. And so he came to me for help. I said, I said, okay, stay off the Internet, period. He said, I can't. I, my job requires me to be on the Internet. I said, quit your job. He's saying, quit my job. I said, okay, or poke your eye out. I mean, I think I'd quit my job before I plucked my eye out, wouldn't you? But that's what Je- that's the point Jesus says if your eye calls you, stumble, pluck out. What is his point? His point is get radical. Whatever radical thing you've got to do, do it. You might be thinking, well, it's hard for me to get away from my idol. And I think that's... Part of the essence of it, it's going, to, it's, going to be, it's going to be a deliberate, radical decision. It's going to be hard to do. You'll need God's help, but you've got to do it. So after Mo- Moses does it, he, he grinds it to powder, he throws it in the water, and then what he, what he does next, he says, he makes the people drink the water. Like, what's up with that? I think he's saying, drink it. I just want to go ahead and drink it. Does that satisfy you? Does that fill your hunger? can't. Only God can. That's the first step. Get the idol out of your life. Step number two, pursue forgiveness and cleansing. Exodus 32-34 deal with repentance and forgiveness and cleansing. And by the way, we all all need to be honest here between between you and God. You know, strip yourself of all the rationalization, all the excuses, and just admit to God if there's an idol. Just say, God, I got this thing. I got to get out of my life. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm asking your help to get it out, and I'm asking for forgiveness and cleansing. And just turning to him. You know, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us all our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what, pursue cleansing. First, get rid of the idol, confess it to God, pursue cleansing. Number three, do whatever it takes to replace that idol with the one true God. 
You remember that course that you know, a lot of us grew up on, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's amazing how when I do that, when I, when I just turn my eyes on Jesus, when I'm lost in that throne room scene, when the eyes of my heart are gazing into his face, you know, there's no competition for my affection. There's no competition for my attention. There's no competition to my devotion. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It works. It works. So again, the thing that makes us vulnerable to idolatry is when we begin to think God is far away. In Exodus 32, the people saw Moses had delayed in coming down. They interpreted Moses being gone and God's presence being gone. But at that very moment, here's where they got it wrong. At the very moment they thought the presence of God was gone, Moses was making up there with God. God was making a covenant with the people. God was closer than ever. Closer than ever. That's the truth. They were wrong about what they thought. And that's the truth about us. Even when you feel like God is far away, if you are a believer in Christ, he is not just near you. God is living in you. He is not far away. No matter how you feel, and this is crucial, you cannot base this on your feelings. You've got to base it on you know, exercising your faith in the word of God. No matter how you feel, he's not far away. He's very close. And I think we just need to sometimes just dig your heels in at the foot of Mount Sinai so even if he feels far away, I know it's not the truth. I know he's very near, and I'm going to continue to worship him and stay true to him no matter how I feel. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, really, what is at stake if I don't take this message seriously and just kind of blow it off? What's at stake here if, if I don't really repent from some idol? There is a woman by the name... <clears throat> of Sandra Piovesen. Piovesen, she had these nine wolf dogs. It's interesting because she wrote about them. She wrote about her love for these nine wolf dogs she had raised from pups. These wolf dogs, she gave, she gave all of her time, all of her attention, all of her devotion, all of her, every dollar she had in taking care of these dogs. She loved them. Well, one day, she's supposed to meet her daughter for lunch, and she didn't show up. So they went to her home to look for her, and she was laying in the dog cage. Dogs had killed her, and they were eating her body as they came in there. And I know that's a shocking scene, but here's the truth. I think a lot of us, we have idols in our lives, and we think they're just harmless pets. not realizing they're sucking the spiritual life right out of us. And they can leave us spiritually dead. So we've got to be deliberate about it. We've got to be radical about it. And we're about to go into this Knowing God series next Sunday. We'll kick it off. We want everybody involved. We want everybody pressing forward. And some of you have already decided you're not going to be involved. And some of you decide you're not going to be involved because... Your allegiance and devotion and affection is to something else that's in the way. And I would propose to you that that just might be an idol. Nothing should keep us from wanting to pursue God together these next seven weeks. So be deliberate about it. 
And get your priorities, you know, lined up right and say, God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to be in a small group. I'm, some of you, I'll be thinking about hosting, so I'm going to invite some friends over and get the, you know, the, package today, the packet today from Connection Coffee, and I'm going to invite four friends and classmates over to be part of my small group. We're going to give you everything you need. We want everyone to be part of one so we can track together on knowing God. Don't, don't let anything keep you from it. I want to just close by asking you guys to stand, if you would. I want to go back to that little chorus. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And I just want us to sing it for a moment, a couple times through with your eyes closed. Before we do, I just want to pray. Father, you know, you know everything about us. You know the idols that we've rationalized and justified. And Lord, I pray today that we would leave, we believe as a people here who have turned from idols to serve the living God fully with all our heart. I pray there be no idols. And so we ask you to search us by your spirit, Lord. Just speak to each one of us right now like only you can. And just point it out. Point out what that idol is in each life, Lord. Maybe there's not any in some lives. Maybe there's more than one in some. But just we just ask you to speak, Lord. Show us anything you want us to get out of our lives that you might be first and foremost preeminent in everything. Close your eyes and just look into his face.
before we close this Connection Coffee in this corner. If you don't yet have a small group to start knowing God in series, stop back there. They'll help you find one. Also, if this is your first Sunday here, I'd love to meet you right here in this welcome corner. There'll be some leaders up here that would love to pray for you if you have a prayer need. But also, I want to remind you that we have Grace Cafe, so go right across the parking lot for lunch. It's just $5. Kids will eat free, and we'll just have a great time of fellowship. And so please don't take off too quick. Stop by and eat with us. Father, we just thank you for who you are to us. Lord, you're more than first place, really. You're everything. We pray, Lord, that that become more and more real to each one of us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.